My name is Anthony O'Connell, Upper Feast. Thank you so much for listening. I'm a man with a high voice. I moved to New York City to pursue stand-up comedy, started a food blog in the Upper East Side of Manhattan, recently moved back to Columbus, Ohio, and decided to start a podcast. I'll be interviewing people that love the Upper Feast, people in the service industry, restaurant owners, foodies, comedians, anyone who loves food, I'll be talking to them. So today I talk with Jenny of Jenny's Ice Cream. She's an author, an ice cream mogul, and a really kind, intelligent person. We talk about her dropping out of college to pursue her dreams, overcoming adversity, a more affordable ice cream, psychedelic mushrooms. We really get into it. So I enjoy this episode a lot, and I hope you do too. If you like this, please subscribe, tell a friend. If you really love it, give me a rating. I'd greatly appreciate it. Anyways, let's get into it. Jenny, hey there. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. How are you? It's a beautiful fall day. It really is. Uh, but I eat ice cream year round because I'm not a coward. So I feel like <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good way to put it. Um, so I do too, obviously. Of course. So I think if you want, we can just jump right into it. I like to start with a quick little game of feast or pass. And I'll ask you some random food questions and see if you'd feast or pass and why. So the first one is a little polarizing foie gras. Oh, feast. Feast. Nice. I like history, history, historical foods too. So, you know, I I know there's some controversy in in certain, you know, and how they're fed and all of that, the ducks mostly, but um, anyway, whatever, you know what I mean? I think you can do it relatively humanely as well. And yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I would feast. Awesome. Yeah. I think however, it's not something I would make at home. I don't want to know anything else besides that. Right. (laughs) I do make um, like, chicken liver mousse with Julia Child's recipe, which is literally, I could eat the whole thing myself and it's so many calories. It is. And yeah. I make it with whiskey, Middle West whiskey. That, I'm into that. Julia Child's, uh, she's one of the greats of all time. Like she's, anything she does, big feast for me. Same. Now what about polar, polar opposite end of the spectrum here, American cheese product, just like the little yellow cheese you get in that weird little plastic thing. Okay. I have, that's a, that's a for sure feast for me. And I will tell you like Lando Lakes from the deli, American cheese. It doesn't matter if you get white or, or yellow, Yeah. but yes for that. And that's definitely like for um, grilled cheese, for um, hamburgers, right? For cheeseburgers. Right. No way would I pass it up. In fact, when somebody like my mom just made us hamburgers the other day, she lives here with us right now. And, um, and she had to put like regular, you know, sharp cheddar on it. And I was like, forget it. I just have a hamburger. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm good. Or even like Velveeta, like all, all you know, Sean Brock, who's a, a chef, um, an amazing chef from the South, James Beard Award, like just amazing guy, calls Velveeta a heritage food. And I'm like, okay, that's, if that's how you give it a pass, I'm all in. Cause you can't make the green bean casserole without Velveeta. That's true. And it, it gets a lot of hate and people make fun of it, but like what, like what you said, for grilled cheese, or for a cheeseburger, it's pretty iconic. You can't really beat it. Totally. What about another little polarizing one? Uh, veal, like a veal parmesan. Would you do a veal parm? Yeah, I would. I'm not a, so I will say like schnitzel and like pounded breaded meat is uh-huh. like, first of all, one of my specialties and I love it. I would rather go with pork or if you really want to make me happy pork neck (laughs) so I don't know man they take the neck I guess and slice it really thin but it has like the perfect fat you know who will do this is um therns uh down in German village and they're the ones that turn me on to this so then you pound that out really thin and bread it and then fry it in shallow like butter and olive oil that is way better so I would just go with that I would go with that 
Fair enough. That that's what's up. Now, last one for the feaster pass category: eel sushi. I, I definitely love eel. Eel is just. I mean, it just has a it has a texture of fish. It's not that you know. I mean, it's. I mean, it's like a long fish, right? Yeah. And I've actually been in Greece. I spent a summer in Greece when I was young. I mean, this was an interesting summer. I took five hundred bucks. That's all I could save. Uh-huh. And I went to Greece for eight weeks and lived off of 500 bucks, um, <laughs> which meant that like, I was like, you know, hanging out with people who literally lived in camp camped by the sea and would go get eels out of the water and <laughs> cook them over campfire. And that would be like how I would eat sometimes in that, on that um, amazing trip. But no, um, eel is good. You just don't want to watch it being skinned because it's pretty sick. Yeah, that's my problem. So like, I love all sushi. So the reason I specified eel is because Eel is one of those things where when I eat it, I just picture the actual animal and it freaks me out and I get a little grossed out, but it does taste- It freaks me out though and everybody loves, and this is like culinary, like, you know, is, is sea urchin. So I can't eat the, um, you know, this. It, it just reminds me of eating someone, like a human's tongue. It's just <laughs> gross, it's so gross to me. But I was in a little, like a, I was on a chef thing in Italy one time and they did sea urchin soup. I love the, the, the flavor of it. I just can't handle that texture. It's Fair of, enough. It's one of my passes, but eel is fine. <laughs> eel, okay, cool. And then, so the, the next thing we do is we do it, um, rate it one to feast, which is like a one to five scale, but we say feast for fun because I run the upper feast account. So That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Little, casual little branding here, but Hawaiian pizza, one to feast. So like if it sucks, say like one or two, if you're meh, three or four, if it's amazing, feast. I'm going to go with a four on that one. I love Hawaiian pizza, but I've, I've got to reserve like feast for like the super top. I wouldn't put it in the super, super top, but I've had some pretty amazing Hawaiian pizzas. And if it shows up at my house from Donato's or, or you know, wherever local, I will always have two or three pieces of that in addition to whatever else. So I'm you're so, I love it. I feel like it's all just like, yes, yes, yes. I'm really into that. That's great. I mean, I like flavor and food. <laughs> <laughs> so what about, what about a power ranking of soft serve ice cream, gelato, and frozen custard? What's your gold, silver, and bronze? In, for oh, the- okay. And you're not including American hard body ice cream, which is what I make. So I know you would say that one for sure, probably. No, we're going to go with that one's number one. Okay. So wait, we're talking about regular soft serve and, you know, because I'm in ice cream, this is not an easy question. So I, um, you know, there's like Dairy Queen soft serve, which is actually rel- relatively creamy. Now I don't, I'm not gonna get into how they do that. I have no idea how they do that. It might be some uh, vegetable oils. It might be full on dairy. I have no idea. That's totally fine. And then there's frozen, you know, but there's levels. So some of the smaller, you know, soft serves can be a bit icy, you know, whereas I think like Dairy Queen's is, is, is more smooth. And then if you're talking about American gelato, which has no federal standards, and like, let's say you buy it at the grocery store and you have like American gelato, even like any of it, mostly from the grocery store, a lot of times it's going to have some kind of uh, vegetable fat in it, vegetable oil, because those freeze in a way that's, you'll, you'll notice it now when you eat it. So it's super smooth because that's mm-hmm. how vegetable oil, certain ones will freeze, but it leaves like a film on your palate. Okay. So that contrasted with what you actually have it like in, um, Less, uh, let's say, Sorbetto de Castiglione or whatever in Bologna, which is an incredible gelateria in Bologna um, that I've been to several times and it's just mind blowing. So there are there are levels within all of those that could be one, two, and three for all of them. And of course, I grew up in Peoria, Illinois, which meant Wisconsin and St. Louis were like I was like sandwiched by them. That is the hub of frozen custard in the United States. So you know, I mean, if it's well made. Every one of those is going to be at the very top. 
right? Yeah. And every one of them can also be at the very bottom. So I just went around that question. Now, if I had to eat one today, uh-huh. I would say, you know, it's really hard unless I could actually get to Italy. I'm not going to go with gelato because I just haven't found one and, and where I could have access to it that I think is at that, at the, at the number three level or whatever. So I would rank them. I'd probably go with frozen custard first, then soft serve and then gelato. But I mean, that is weird because I'm talking about that from here, from my place here. Gotcha. Clearly, if it's a well-made gelato, I'm going for that first. So you no think if, if, if they're all number one, if they're all like elite. They're all at their top of their game, I'm going to go with, yeah, let's do it like that. If it's all at the top of the game, I'm going to go gelato, custard, then soft serve. Awesome. Fair enough. I personally put soft serve first, maybe just because I've never had the real authentic, like I've had like Talenti gelato and like when I lived in New York City, I had gelato from a couple places. So I don't know how authentic it was, but yeah, gelato is very good. Don't get me wrong, but for me, it's probably second or third. And then talk about you specifically. I did a little Google and saw on Wikipedia that dropped out of college to follow your dreams. Like that takes a lot of guts. Like what made you believe in your product so much? Or were you a little burnt out on school? Like, was it a whole culmination of things? People call it, people will say it takes guts, but, um, but for me, well, first of all, I didn't have family telling me that I was stupid for doing that. And so that would have that would have taken guts, I think, if somebody, if you had to go against your entire family because they had been paying for it and blah, blah, blah. That would take a lot of guts. But for me, it it actually would take more guts for me to actually like acquiesce and be like, yes, no, I should definitely become an accountant first, just to be safe. I would feel out of my element. I would feel I was in the wrong life every day that I woke up and it would probably make me want to throw up. It would not be for me. Right. And so living an inauthentic life to me takes more guts than actually just going for it. And now that, you know, I lived off minimum wage for most of my life. So, you know, this was not an easy thing to get off the ground. I mean, of course, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't realize that like building an ice cream company that can compete with Ben and Jerry's is going to be like as brutal as it is. Like, of course it is. Of course it's going to be brutal. These are massive companies that have a lot at stake. Right awesome right so now i get to do this but it takes 20 something years right? right so i have literally been on a an adventure equal to frodo i think and um anyway i'm glad i did it but like it wasn't as as easy as i thought or, or even as fun as i thought although it has been pretty fun well and also i i really believe that since you didn't have a safety net of say an accountant degree or whatever degree you would have had i think you had to do it because if you had a safety oh, net exactly you just would have been right. a normal person working a normal job. That's so. why you got to just jump in because you know what? Now everybody knows you're doing it and you know, you just got to keep going, right? You have to keep going. You don't, you can't just like turn around. I think um, I, similarly, like whenever I want to do something, whenever I'm like, you know, deciding something, whether it's writing a book or, or making some project that's big, it's going to be all consuming. I like, I'm the kind of person that tells everyone I know, oh, by the way, you know what I'm doing? Da, da, da. And to the point where they're like, whatever, Jenny, like, they get annoyed with me because I'm like, I want everyone to know that I'm going to do it because it puts me on the hook for yeah. doing it. Right. Cause then in a year, when I see them again or six months or two weeks, they're going to be like, did you do it? And I'm, I, my answer to them can't be nah. Right. Like, you can't do that. You got to be like, well, yeah. Or, you know, whatever. So little societal pressure on, on the, yeah. <laughs> and then also too, from the Wikipedia, it said that, and I, I'm actually shocked to hear this, that the, when you first pitched it to North Market the first couple times, they said no. Yeah, they did. Was that devastating? Like, how did you overcome that? Okay, so in two different businesses. So there was Jenny's and then before that, it was Scream Ice Cream, both in the market. And at Scream Ice Cream, they just weren't interested at all. 
so this was in 1996. They had just, the market had just moved from what it had been before, which was just a little Quonset hut. Now it's the, the oldest continually operated market in the Midwest, the North market is. Mm -hmm. And so it had gone from various uh, buildings over the years, but it had always been in service, right? It wasn't like just because like in the nineties it became popular. So the, so the community revived it. It had always been there. So when the last one burned down, they were in this like horrible Quonset hut with a dirt floor. So they had just moved into the building next door, which was like an awesome warehouse, which is where it is now. It had been a, imagine this, it had been a records warehouse for nationwide insurance back before computers, right? Where they had to have like paper trail of everything. Um, So obviously they didn't need that anymore. And so they moved the market into that building. And so what the, the organizers were doing, and they were very connected to the city of Columbus, is they were trying to build a grocery destination that would be where people would go back to having grocery shopping directly from the people who are making, growing, producing it, and pr- procuring it. Such an awesome idea. They wanted only people who were doing grocery. And it makes sense, but, I, but that was what I was going up against. You know, we were like, does ice cream fit in? Or they were really worried that the North Market was going to turn into like, I think what they were, they call it like a fudge and, you know, um, cards shop, right? So like when you go up and you're like in a tourist um, little village by the lake or whatever, there's always like the fudge lady and the, you know, yeah, the greeting cards and tchotchkes and stuff like that. So they were really worried that ice cream was sort of turning it into that. Totally understood. But I had to convince them that that wasn't the case. So the way that I did that, actually, there was an ice cream show on PBS. It was a fantastic ice cream show. If you ever get a chance to watch it back before you know, the technology we have now where I could just find it and email it to you from YouTube. Um, I had to have, I didn't have anything, you know, my family wasn't together at the time. I didn't have any money, I had nothing. But my grandparents lived in Florida and they had a VCR, right? Even by the standards of, of life back then, most people had a VCR, I did not. So I had my grandfather record it when it was on, when it aired. Um, and then he mailed that, VC, that, that tape to me and then I gave it to the people at the market. And what it showed in that ice cream special, it was very beautiful. One of the first profiles that it did was on Bassett's ice cream in the Reading Terminal Market. And uh, Bassett's is an old American company, 150, 175 years old. They've been in this market. It's very much like the North Market for a really long time and they are um, beautiful. That was what changed their mind. So it's back to the idea of when someone says no, what do you do? (laughs) The last thing you do is just walk away and say, thank you. Right. Right. In your mind, you say, I'll be back. Right. right, you came back. With I just proof. didn't do it right this time. I just didn't convince you this time, but I will be back. And so I found this thing. I called my grandfather. We, we did that. And then again at Jenny's, it had to happen again. Now this is a different group of leaders at the market. But what had happened was Scream wasn't very successful. And so they were like, "Why would we have you back?" And I had to say, "Well, because I've learned everything. Now I get how to do it." And um, and that was a while. So what I did that time. And you know, you're gonna find if the more you look into what my story, this is what I do all the time. Like I just literally never take no for an answer. It's very annoying to be married to me or like, you know, to be a, mate, a friend of mine. But, um, but they were just like, no, thank you. And I was like, but this has to, <laughs> this has to happen. I've got this whole thing now. And, um, and, uh, and they said no over and over again. So I got a job at the market. So I just got a job and I was just there all the time. I, Hello. Every time the manager of the market would walk by, Hey, Dave, Hey, Hey, it's Jenny. How are you doing? I mean, it was like, literally I camped out there. It's incredible. And, uh, and I just became friends with him. And then he began to get trust in me that I wasn't gonna, that I really did understand what I was doing. And that was, that was what led to me being allowed back in. 
That's so Sorry, I don't give long, I give very long answers, but. No, no, I like it. I mean, I think you're going to truly inspire people with that story because it's very easy to be discouraged when someone says no, but the first time you got told no, you're like, well, I don't have easy access to this video, but I'm going to call grandpa and get this video. And then you send it to him. And then that business kind of failed, but you failed forward. You got a job there and you just stuck it out. And I think that's really incredible. I think the, the main thing is you're asking, I'm asking myself, what did I not get across? Like what? Why are they not seeing it the way that I am? What do I have to change about my approach to get them to see what I, the vision that I see? Because that's clearly beautiful. We need to kind of figure out where, how to come to the middle on this. And so I just never, I never think it's like, oh, they just actually hate my vision. I think they must not see it the way that I do. <laughs> Literally like a kid who will not shut up about it and like <laughs> trying to get your approval. But anyway, I mean, it really is. It's like, what did I do wrong? It's never like they're, they're you know, whatever they, you know, I, I just keep coming back with a new approach until it works. That's awesome. Or until it's literally burned and dead in the water. <laughs> <laughs> so being that you're an ice cream mogul, I'm sure people pitch ice cream flavors to you all the time. And if that is correct, how do you feel about it? Like, do you is it annoying do you think it's charming or does it depend I love it it's very charming that's a perfect way to put it I part of my um my goal and 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 I've written two books is to get people thinking in terms of flavor and in terms of what is my flavor because when you look up the word flavor in the dictionary it actually means character the essential character of something and so so we're talking about character we're talking about personal character but we're also talking about what flavor surrounds you right so what if I was the ice cream maker, what stories would I be telling that are different from Jenny's or the other ice cream people? So I think that this is like thinking like this and, and for kids, it's awesome, is part of my goal in life. And so when people bring flavor ideas to me, whether it's just deliciousness, something that they are craving, or it's, it's, it's more you know, deeper than that, I love it. That's great. And you know, this is my life. I've been living this life for a long, long time. So this happens to me daily. Like I'll be at Target looking at deodorant and somebody will pat me on the shoulder, Jenny? <laughs> Hey, I was thinking about mango with like saffron and rose petal. And I'd be like, that's awesome. You know, and then sometimes I'll just follow up and send them a recipe for it. Have you ever had a recipe that you created that you had really high hopes for, and then it kind of bombed? And if so, what did you do? Did you just get rid of it or did you try to rework it? Because you are such like a perseverance type person. Yes. Well, you know, if I love something, we're going to figure it out, you know, and a great example of that is actually what we um, most of our, what I a lot of times call buttermilk frozen yogurts. So they are the sort of lemon, blueberry, the recent Tyler, the creator flavor was on that. Think about it as like a platform, you know? Mm -hmm. I think about these flavors as if they were sort of my recipe for sherbet, right? Except that sherbet actually has a federal definition and it doesn't fit into that. So from a flavor profile perspective, my yogurts are really tart, super creamy, really fruity, and they're really beautiful. And they're like what you would think of as like the perfect sherbet. But from an ingredient perspective, it falls below or actually above the uh, amount of, of dairy that's allowed to be in a sherbet. Sherbet is basically like ice cream and sorbet if they had a baby. Like literally it's like half sorbet and half ice cream and you just mix them together and then that becomes sherbet. But anyway, I get really, people, when I first started making them in the 90s, people were thinking about TCBY and how terrible for the most part that is. Yeah. And then um, and then after a while they started thinking about Pinkberry, which is sort of okay, it's pretty good, but it's different than what I'm doing. And so I was never able to get them their own sort of place or class or like stage. 
Um, and so they just were always a very low seller. So what I did recently, and recently being the last two or three years that I stopped calling them yogurt, I took yogurt and buttermilk off because I think people don't really know how to handle that. Like it either sounds like health food or um, like it's supposed to taste like ice cream, but it, but, but it's not. Right. And I just started making up new names for them. So we have like orange blossom, same exact recipe. It's this tart, very creamy, beautiful. It almost tastes like a push-up. Nice. But instead of calling it orange blossom buttermilk frozen yogurt or, or yogurt, we'll call it, we call it orange blossom chiffon. Just nice. made it up, chiffon, whatever. It's a chiffon, it's airy and light and whatever. And then uh, for like blueberry, we'll call it like blueberry, uh, lemon blueberry parfait. Ooh. Right. So just, it's just like a la- parfait means layered, you know, or we'll call it just pineapple upside down cake. And that's fine. So once we started leaving off the idea that it was yogurt and buttermilk and yogurt and buttermilk just brings tartness to it. And, and a lot of like creaminess because of the way it interacts with the cream, um, they started selling like crazy. And, uh, and that's been all the difference. So this has been literally a 25 plus year <laughs> adventure for me. Like, how do I get these amazing ice creams, the space, and uh, accolades I think that they deserve because every time I would put our ice cream in front of like a top level chef, they would always go to those flavors. And those were always my favorites as well. But so anyway, it's all of those flavors would be the answer to that question. Did you have any surprise hits? Like maybe you made a flavor and you were like, I love it. I don't know how the public will perceive it, but then it blew up and became wildly popular. Well, um, I wouldn't say that it blew up to be so popular that we have to have it, but um, you know, on our signature, but there were flavors that surprised me that I absolutely had no idea that people would eat, love, and remember for years. One of those is um, cedarwood vanilla. It's such a good flavor. I actually also use another um, uh, like resin to make that flavor called Peru balsam, which sounds like shampoo, (laughs) as I think they actually use it in shampoo sometimes. But Peru balsam is a, is from, it's a resin from a tree in Ecuador and it actually has a very vanilla. Actually, you know what it tastes like? It's, it's really a scent is pipe smoke. Okay. It's this incredible, like um, you just want to like curl up and go to sleep in it, <laughs> in that <laughs> scent. It's like, I say that it's like, it's like this flavor. So it was like Peru balsam, cedarwood, and then a really beautiful, smoky, heady vanilla. Mm-hmm. And I said that it tastes like, or it really is a scent. It smells like the neck of a like cashmere sweater on like a really handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like the best way to describe it. But, um, but you know, nobody wants, I mean, I don't know. I was like, did anybody want to eat wood scented ice cream? But it turns out they did. And I was really floored. I mean, we sold all of it and uh, would have sold more. So we just didn't make enough. And so, and people still to this day are like, we want more of that. So I have to figure out how to bring that one back. It's a great holiday flavor. It really is. And I feel like if, if you can do, in my opinion, uh, I'm not an ice cream expert, but I feel like if you can do vanilla well, I think you're crushing it. Because I think other flavors really? kind of hide imperfections, whereas vanilla is kind of just, it, I think everything has to be perfect for a vanilla to be really good. No, you're exactly right. And that's the game really with most of my flavors versus um, some other, other ice cream companies or other ice cream trends, I should say. You know, when you put a lot of stuff in your ice cream, especially if it's a lot of junk food or, or whatever, that can be totally great and delicious, but you're not tasting the actual ingredients. You're tasting this sort of sweet, salty punch, yeah. the textural stuff versus like actually going deep on the notes of the ingredients. And I think of, I think ice cream is a really uh, like a metaphor for life in a way, like, um, especially if you get it on an ice cream cone, not in a cup because you, you have to be with it. So it sucks you into the moment where, where hopefully you're, because if you're not in the moment, right, it disappears in front of you. 
yeah. and it disappear and that's life right so so paying attention is a good thing and ice cream if you have it on a cone where you can't put it down and go think of something else um pulls you into the moment but when you're there maybe you're going to be experiencing things a little richer because that's what happens when you come into the moment when you're not spinning about the what ifs of mm-hmm. of your future right where we yeah. all get anxiety from right so so get an ice cream on a cone and then connect with it and those simple flavors can often be the ones that have the most bloom mm-hmm. the ones you can go the deepest on the ones with the longer finish because they're not just about you know chunks and the sort of the sort of very quick moment of sweet sour bitter salty which disappear immediately they're more about those long lasting finishes and scents but they're the harder ones to make because you have to start with really good ingredients because nothing hides you know right the strawberry flavoring you're going to get uh all that chemical flavor as well with with the flavoring versus if you use real fresh strawberries but that's a harder ice cream to make i I love your ice cream i'm a big fan of it and i think the price point makes sense because it's top-notch ingredients and I know everything's like super fair trade and everything is like super elite top tier, but have you ever considered making a more accessible pint? Cause $12 is a lot for a pint and I, I'll gladly pay it. So I'm not like attacking you. I'm just, I'm just wondering if. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. yeah so-, um, so we do. So we um, have uh, quite a few of our flavors that we, we have sort of re-engineered, not from what's in the pint, cause it's the same whether it's like our salty caramel or brown butter or almond butter, but what we've done is engineered the sort of supply chain so that we can work with our partners and say, well, look, how about this? What if we could commit to selling this much versus this much? Because if we just put it in our stores, we're gonna sell this much. But if we offer it to Whole Foods and Publix and Kroger, we can sell this much. But if we can do that, we really have to get it to $7.99 a pint, right? We have to. So what can we do to do that and still make it worth your while? to grow these ingredients or make this for us. And so we have been able to figure out some of those flavors. Um, and then there are other flavors that are just gonna be more bespoke. They're gonna be, you know, we're making a marshmallow or when you see like three things in a pint, you know, where we've made a sauce, a marshmallow and an ice cream or, you know, uh, a gravel or something like that. Those are often gonna be more expensive because they just take that much longer to do versus like, something like lemon yogurt, which is absolutely beautiful, but it also doesn't have a cake or a sauce in it that we've also had to make. So you can see how that could get to a um, $7.99 price point or something like salty caramel, which is absolutely gorgeous flavor for miles. No one in the ice cream business makes actually caramelized over fire ice cream, right? It's, you know, it's, it's sugar caramelized over fire. And it's this really cool, very delicate process very violent, I think in a way, like it's like you, we go to Hades uh, to make it, but um, beautiful uh, in terms of flavor. But anyway, those ones we can do for a little bit less. And so we've been able to sort of separate them and work on that without sacrificing our fellowship, which is what we think of as like the people that it took to make the product. So when you give us um, your dollar, we are giving it to another human being, whether they work for our company or whether they worked out in the field uh, growing those strawberries for us. And that's our goal is to take your dollars and not give them to a nameless corporation or faceless corporation. But whenever we can, I mean, it's like the goal of why we exist, give it to another human being who exists to make, grow or produce that. So that's, you know, the long answer to, yeah, I'd love to, but what we're not going to sacrifice is who we are. So we are working on that uh, deeply because, you know, other people have done that, right? So we don't need to sacrifice grass pastured milk, or we don't need to sacrifice our relationship with someone because you can buy cheaper ice cream 
that's true. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That's not why we exist. If you want Jenny's, if you want this ice cream, then, then this is what it is. And yes, we will continue to work to make um, within those boundaries, different price points, but yeah. So this is totally off topic here, complete 180 here. What do you think makes a great dining experience when you're the customer? And it doesn't have to be oh. related, just like when you're out at a restaurant dining, what makes a great dining experience? So it's a really great question. And I think that um, that in the service business, because I have been in the service industry and it is the service, it, we are, I, I, I have a whole philosophy, it's my whole life philosophy is service right? When I'm in service to someone else, and when I know that I have the power to make someone's day, I actually feel better. It's weird. I actually feel more like me and I feel happier, right? But what happens is that a lot of people who are in the business of service, serving each other and loving each other, we don't, we don't take time to allow others to serve us, right? It's just, oh, it's a hard thing to do. So to sort of surrender to that moment, and allow someone else to do that for you so that you can experience it. Um, it's hard, but it's important because that's how you know how to get better, right? Yeah. So I, um, I, have, I, I have struggled with it, but I also really, really appreciate it. And I do um, love that. So I think of it as very similar to being the host at your own home, right? Um, if I feel welcomed and if I feel a warmth from you and I feel like I... I, uh, you want me to be there and that it's not just you're putting on a little show because really you want to get off for the, you know, be, be released from your duties tonight or whatever. Mm-hmm. That is, that to me goes, that is everything. That warmth that you feel from another person. And I know that when I'm doing that, and that's really the, the, that's like why I exist, I feel like. And it's like why I was born into the world is to exude that warmth in person, especially to like make someone else feel loved when you can do that to someone else I don't know I just feel like the the yes they're gonna feel great but I feel like you get more out of it than anyone else and so then it almost doesn't feel like a job it feels like a calling Mm -hmm. Uh, but anyway I've answered the question kind of weirdly but I think it's important to 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 put yourself on that other side from when you're um, in serve in the service industry and to like surrender to it and allow yourself to be taken care of because I think that's how you get better at what you do so I just would say it all gets summed up for me in, did I feel valued, loved, wanted? Did I feel like there was a warmth to um, this relationship that you, you build with someone just for that one hour that you're in the restaurant? And that, that person who's at the server is representing the whole team uh, b- behind the scenes as well. And so right. it's like a really important job. I think of it as a very important job. It is. Yeah. I, I used to be a server for five and a half years in New York City, um, Times Square, very busy restaurant. I loved making guests a day. Like if something mm-hmm. as simple as just doing like a verbal quality check, like, hey, how's your food tasting? Like something that small, people get so excited. They're like, oh my goodness. Like I was expecting New York rude service, but you asked me what my food is. Oh my God. Yeah, that's something else too. It's like when you can change someone's uh, perception or what what they believe, um, especially if they were sort of assuming, making the assumption that this was going to be a negative experience, but then you can create a positive one. I mean, that, you know, the people who you can do that to, that that mind flip, right? That's like a Jedi mind trick, right? It is, yeah. And when you can do that, you, what you won't see, but you have to just believe and, and know is that when they leave, they're going to share that with someone else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that is so beautiful. It like, really is. You'll never see it. You'll never benefit from it, but you will. 
because if we create that standard in our neighborhoods and in our communities, it always does come back to us, you know? Anyway, I, think, I believe so much in this kind of stuff. Of course, yeah. I mean, I think good vibes are very important to a meal because if someone comes up and they have really bad body language and they're making you and your family and friends uncomfortable, like even if the food's amazing 10 out of 10, like if you have bad service, it all kind of falls apart. It, you know what? The food doesn't taste as good. It's so weird, but it really doesn't because how you feel. I am a huge believer. I, I, I am very into what my, I, I spend a lot of time on what my philosophy is, my, my personal philosophy. I read a lot of ancient Greek philosophy and other philosophies and I, and just through experience or whatever. And I really believe that, that thinking is like a whole body thing, right? Thinking, experiencing, evaluating, and even reason comes from not just your brain and maybe first your body. And so what you experience is first driven by how you feel and how something makes you feel. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I was a kid, my fav I was known as the tamale girl, these Mississippi tamales that would come. It was like, there was places in Illinois, we were like, um, you know, much more connected to our rivers than we are here. But in Illinois, you know, it's the Mississippi River and then the Illinois River. And like, what would happen in the, in the, in the early part of last century is that you would get this New Orleans, Chicago connection. And so there was like this food route. Uh -huh. And so tamales were like a really big deal in places in Illinois, in places along the Mississippi. And they were very different than like the Mexican tamales. They were more of like, almost like a Creole and they sort of changed as they went up. But, um, they were delicious and I could get them various ones in different restaurants, but at the A&W Revere stand, I could get them. And man, when I was seven years old, they were my favorite thing. I could eat them all day long. I could eat them, you know? And then one day I ate them and I had an appendicitis. Uh oh. And it was the most painful thing I'd ever experienced as a child. Um, and one of the most painful things I'd ever experienced as, as, in my life. And I couldn't eat them after that, right? They were just as delicious the day after as they were before, but, but my perception of them, because I thought maybe they had caused that or because that was my, my you know, yeah. uh, had changed. And so how your body reacts and how your body feels about the moment actually impacts how you, um, the flavor. And that's one of the reasons when you come into our stores, if you want, We'll give you a little bit of background about the flavor because it actually can highlight and brighten those flavors as well. And I think too, like, if someone knows how much thought and care went into each ingredient, I think that improves the taste too, because they know that it wasn't just thrown together all willy nilly, like a lot of thought, love and care went into it. So I think that helps for sure. Totally. So now do you have an example of like a best dining experience? I do. And um, I'm just now trying to think of what this beautiful restaurant was that I went to is I think it was an Alain Ducasse restaurant in a very small, tiny um, village in the south of France and um oh my gosh I cannot think of it anyway he you know is a very famous French chef but this was like a little village restaurant and he ran it but it was like his it was basically training ground I think for his other um restaurants and everyone there was like I don't know, I swear some of them were like 16 years old. Like they were being brought up in his realm of like to be trained to do service and, and chef work and things like that. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever had a better dining experience than when I was there. They were all really young, which was so interesting. 
Um, and I remember what I ate. It was like this beautiful, like frothy cucumber soup. And I can't even explain how ethereal it was and how many layers it was. You know, you think of cucumbers as being like very simple and very light. Well, it was, but it also had lots of flavor, almost like it, I don't know, it's hard to explain, but it was like a water and froth, anyway, beautiful. And I remember having um, pigeon, you know, you didn't get to choose what you had. I probably wouldn't have ordered it, but it was like raw. I mean, like, oh my God. Like and I was like, I don't think I'm going to like this and um, roasted grapes. And it was literally the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. Now it was the whole situation in the restaurant that was so beautiful and the caring that went into every single thing and the garden that was right outside that you kind of saw as you walked in and actually got a little tour of and they were growing these and it it was like, it's just everything came together at once. And to this day um, I have, and I've eaten at a lot of the restaurants that are considered the top you know, in our country and, and even in the world. And I just go back to that one very, it was a very humble experience, even though it was very beautiful and, and top level chef experience, you know? <laughs> That's incredible. Now on the other end of the spectrum, do you have like a worse dining experience? And we don't have to name names and throw anyone under the bus here, but do you have like a worse dining experience that comes to mind? You know, I will just say that I do not like cutting corners in restaurants. And so I think there's a way to do good food simply and and maybe that means having a shorter menu you know and so i can't go places where like you're using bagged lettuce for instance i simply can't because that to me says something very specific right and plus those lettuces they all age and decompose at different rates Mm -hmm. and so you'll almost always get like some black melting ones i can't handle bagged lettuce whether it's romaine or the mixed greens or whatever and that is one of the, like, if you are a restaurant and there are, there, are one, there are restaurants on all levels who is taking the effort to cut their own iceberg lettuce, it doesn't matter what the lettuce is, I have more respect for you than some of the higher quality, you know, it's the so-called higher quality restaurants that are charging more, uh-huh. but they're using bagged lettuce. I just can't. And, and of course, the same would be true for salad dressing. Those are the easiest, simplest things. Just lemon juice, salt, and olive oil is better than gloppy anything else, I will say. Uh, but all of those are very easy to make. And so there's sim- like, it's just stuff like that. You know what I mean? I will choose, uh, and I notice it, you know, I'll choose to go to a restaurant that actually like cares about what they're, and they're not just walking over into GFS and filling up a cart and then frying everything and putting, you know, it just means a lot. So uh, for me, no matter what the level is, it would be about like, are they making stuff there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, I, I have my my food account and I've eaten, I don't know, probably over a thousand restaurants. And it really seems like most places do just kind of go to GFS and just get like, because I've been to countless restaurants and I definitely will not name names, but they... Once you lock into that, once you know what it is, like, you know, you're like walking through GFS and you're like, okay, sweet potato fries, right? And you know exactly when you go to those restaurants and sweet potato fries are those specific kind. And you're like, they're in every restaurant in the city, right? And you're like, meh, they're fine. But like when someone makes sweet potato fries from scratch, and we just had some from the Whitney house the other day. And you're like, this I respect, like, it's awesome, you know? And like, sometimes you have to eat like whatever, it's fine. I'm not like, you know, I mean, I'll be there too. Like I sometimes go and have the sweet potato fries that are obviously from GFS. It's just the thing that like, it's not necessary. And I think sometimes it's even more expensive as a restaurant to like go to the exit. So like you have to go and just get everything out of the freezer and like fry it. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah. once you see that, once you lock into it, you're like, okay, salad dressing came from them, the greens, the fries, the chicken sandwich was just all from their bag or whatever. And you're like, whatever, I can't, <laughs> I would just rather eat at home. And, and, mm-hmm. and I feel like it's like become kind of like, almost like, it's like kind of seeping into all levels of restaurants, you know, where you yeah. like cutting corners. And that's why I have so much respect for the restaurants that don't do that. And there are just like in the ice cream world, there are, there are ice creams on every price point that are really good. Things like strawberry ice cream, for instance, has, there's a lot, there's no reason to make a crappy strawberry. There's no reason to eat a crappy strawberry ice cream. They're all pretty good because there's efficiencies in the system that help even like, you know, the less expensive strawberry be pretty good. And it's the same thing in restaurants. There are restaurants of all price points who are doing um, it right. Awesome. So I just have one more question for you, Jenny, and it's an ice cream related one. CBD oil is very popular now. Have you ever considered making a CBD ice cream? I have. Um, But so CBD oil, I mean, everybody has a different take on it. Like it doesn't do anything for me at all. (laughs) (laughs) I uh, know many people in that sort of the cannabis world. I've done some investigating um, and I just feel like, like for me, it's not like, I feel like it's marketing, honestly, a lot of it. And I know that like other people totally disagree and have had like massive, you know, it's game life changing, you know, and, and that's great. I haven't found that to be true. And I, the only reason we would put it in ice cream. So first of all, like maybe you're having, you know, success with arthritis or whatever that, whatever. The only reason we would put it in ice cream is because it makes you feel a certain way, right? Because it doesn't have a flavor. So can you make ice cream that makes you feel chill and, you know, lower anxiety? I don't think that CBD really has enough effect to make it worth anybody's while to like, go get the ice cream with that. I mean, if that was, you know, if you're really suffering from that, you're going to just go straight to the oil and probably drink the whole thing. I don't know. Right now, don't get me started on cannabis and various other, um, (laughs) you know, um, mood altering, you know, can we expect a psychedelic mushroom, uh, flavor? (laughs) I mean, it if it were legal, outside of the realm of my thinking, <laughs> that's really fun. At all. I uh, I very much believe in the power of psilocybin to in trauma and um, many other things, and I think some of that is just coming into light. I mean, and so I don't know where ice cream could possibly play play a role in that, but um, but I do. I am keeping up with what's going on in that world because I think I think that that we've got it wrong in the way that we try to heal PTSD and trauma. And I do work with some veterans and um, very much respect all, um, you know, veterans and people, and, 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 and also people, you know, people who've gone through trauma. And it turns out it's like all of us, right. you know, we're, having, we're struggling because we've all been through it. And so anything that we can do that's, um, that's going to provide relief. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in now. I, you know, there's a lot more to, to that discussion. I mean, who's going to make the money off of it and all of that stuff. And we've got to figure those things out because this is really valuable stuff, but I don't know where ice cream fits into that. But, um, <laughs> but to me, again, even when, it, when we talk about ice cream, it just comes back to people. Are we making each other feel loved? Are we making each other feel appreciated, feel seen, feel valued? And are we caring for each other in a way that's healing? Because we all need that, especially now. And, <laughs> um, and that's what we do when we make ice cream. Really, truly, that's what it's about for us. And so what else can we do that? How else can we help, you know? Yeah. Is what we ice cream is like a hug. <laughs> it's very comforting. So that was it. That was the podcast. Jenny, thank you so much for being a guest. Do you have anything else you'd like to say? Any like 
outro or anything, and I'm going to put all your social down in the description here, but if you have any last words, I'd love to hear it. <laughs> no, I just have had so much fun today. It's great. You're awesome. And I love seeing your smile. It's really fun to like, I mean, I wish we could be in person, but I just wish you the best. I, this was such a fun interview and, um, and you're just such a fun person. And, uh, and, and I just wish you the best. Thank you so much, Jenny. I appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of the day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye.